Guys, I'm just super stoked to jump into a new sermon series. Um, we're going to be working through what's called Anchor Points. And I'll explain a little bit about what that is, but we're going to, for the next three weeks, we're going to be uh, moving through a series called Anchor Points. And, and also the focus is welcome home. Like, the church is a home, and we want to invite people, um, whether they feel like they have a home church or maybe they don't feel like they're connected to a church at all, we want you to feel part of our family. And um, because we're first a family. I love that when you accept Jesus... Um, you become part of the family of God and that we're brothers and sisters in Christ when you accept Jesus. And so we are a family. And so we, wanna, we, want, we want everyone to be part of our family. And so we hope that you feel like you're part of the family here at Coastal. And uh, if you're around Coastal very long, you'll, you'll hear us say this. And for the last three weeks, we've said it. And I'm going to say it until people get sick of hearing it. And I'm going to say it some more because I'm just that way. But uh, our vision, I'm just joking, by the way. Our vision is to take Jesus into what? These guys over here got it. We just got to work that through the rest. So our vision is to take Jesus what? Amen. We're getting there. That's our vision. It's starting to rub off. Yes, our vision is to take Jesus into every community in Southwest Nova. And as we kind of pursue that vision... We need some things to kind of, to keep us grounded, to keep us in a place of, um, of, you know, foundation. And I'm really excited because over the next three weeks, I feel, really feel like the Lord is going to help us to grow as we discover what these anchor points are, these things that keep us grounded. And I really sense that, and I've sensed this for a few months now, I really sense as a church, the Lord is bringing us into a season of stabilization, the Lord is bringing us into a season of God wants to establish us as a church in multiple ways. And so I'm really excited for that season, but I think that the foundation for us to kind of move into that are these anchor points. These are what keeps us grounded. These are the foundation that we build our church on. And so what we're going to do for the next three weeks, I'm going to share two of our anchor points, our values, the things that are like our bedrock that really help us understand why we do the things that we do. So I'm going to share two anchor points each week for the next three weeks. That's kind of where we're going for the next little bit. And I'm really excited about this because um, in culture, things change all the time. And as I shared a couple weeks ago, I talked about how as a church, you constantly need to be changing. Because culture changes. And if churches don't change with culture, what happens? Churches actually become irrelevant because they don't speak the language that people can connect with. And so, as a church, we need to constantly be changing and adapting. Now, a lot of people get really nervous when we talk about that. Because they're like, okay, well, what, about, are you, what are you changing? There's certain things that change, like the style in which we do ministry. But there's certain things that don't change. And the things that don't change are what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks, and that's our values. Those things will never change. Because that's who we are. That's, that's our bedrock. That's our foundation. That's what we're building this on. And so we're going to look at two of those tonight. Um, and I love these anchor points, these six anchor points. And one of the reasons I love them is because they're rooted in the Bible. This isn't just something that's like a made up, a really, really good idea. They're rooted in scripture. And they're that safety net. They're to help us as a church as we grow to make sure we don't drift away from the Lord. And so I love it for that reason as well. And I, all their anchor points really resonate with me. Like, as a church, we're not just 
into making people make decisions to accept Jesus. Like, I get, there's, there's few things that get me more fired up and excited than when people accept Jesus and get baptized. I was talking to a, a guy tonight, and he was talking about how baptisms are wins for me. And I will lose every game of hockey ever in my life for the wins of baptisms and salvations and people coming to Jesus, okay? Like, like that's the greatest win. There's no greater wins than that, right? Like, like, I just, those are the wins in the kingdom that we kind of go for. And so those things are really important. But they're important not just to write down a number. The thing that gets me excited about people accepting Jesus and making that decision, which it is a decision, and people getting baptized is because it's actually the start of a journey for people. It's the start of the process of that life actually being transformed to look like Christ. It's a start of a journey where God can actually unfold his amazing plan and purpose in someone's life. That's why I get excited about conversion and baptism because it actually starts this amazing journey that God actually invites us all to be part of. And as we grow as a disciple of Jesus, we start to look more and more like him. And these anchor points that I'm going to talk about over the next three weeks, when, when people grow to look like Jesus, they actually look like these anchor points. When you grow more and more like Jesus, you start to be these things that we're going to talk about over the next six weeks. And the reason I get excited about that is, is as we grow as a church and as you grow in your own journey, you get to a point where you start to look and act like Jesus. And dozens and dozens of people in our church that are starting to mature and grow in their faith, those are the people that God uses to have a tremendous impact on our region. Like, what would God do if we embodied all these values I'm going to talk about, like, in our church. Like, I think it would blow our minds what God, what God would do. And so, because the hope of the gospel is not just forgiveness of sins, it's a transformed life. Like, when you invite Christ to come in, that's just the beginning. God wants to radically transform your life to look like Jesus. And so, the two, the two gospel points, the two anchor points I want to talk about tonight, the first one is called gospel motivated. Can you say gospel motivated? Gospel motivated. It says, we'll be moved and motivated by the love of Jesus for all people. We'll be moved and motivated by the love of Jesus for all people. You know, when you talk about motivation, you're really talking about why. You're really talking about why we do the things that we do. And we believe as a church, we believe that the church actually exists for the mission of God. And as we learned about in Matthew chapter 9... We see what Jesus was motivated by. We see that Jesus saw the crowds and he was what? He was moved with compassion. He was moved and motivated by the love of God for all people. And that's something that we want here at Coastal in every single person. We want every single person that has made a decision to follow Jesus to be moved and motivated by the love of God for all people. Does that make sense? Wouldn't that be really awesome if every single one of us had that? If we were, every single one of us, the bedrock of our faith was we're all moved and motivated by the love of God for all people. Because that actually changes your lifestyle. That actually affects the decisions that you make individually, but it also affects decisions we make as a church. And that's one of our values at Coastal Church. We are moved and motivated by the love of God for all the people in the municipality of Barrington and beyond. That's why we make the decisions that we make. That's the lens by which we see ministry. 
and we see the world. That's why we do what we do, because we believe we exist as a church to see lost people come to know Jesus and see lives transformed by the gospel, amen? That's why we're doing what we're doing. And in contrast to that, we aren't motivated by what's convenient. Let me tell y'all, it wasn't convenient to like have church that first service in a snowstorm, Right? It wasn't convenient to do set up and tear down in the high school for the first five months. It wasn't convenient to lead a church in a pandemic. It wasn't convenient to do all the stuff that we're doing. If it was just convenient, man, like we'd just be all on vacation and peace out. Like that's, like we're, but we're not motivated by that. And we don't complain at all about the work and effort and energy and blood, sweat, and tears that we poured in to do what we do. Why? Because we are gospel motivated. We want to do what. <laughs> we want to do whatever it takes to see people come to know Jesus. Amen? Amen? Come on. I'm fired up tonight. So it's not about what's convenient for us. It's not about our preference. It's not about what music we like. I don't care what it takes. I want to do whatever it takes to reach people that don't know Christ to see them know Jesus. You know, sometimes people might wonder, like, for instance, the way that I dress. Why on earth does a pastor have a baseball cap on? Is he doing it to try to be cool? Actually, no. You know what? I actually like dressing up. Straight up, I do. I do. But I wear a baseball cap and a hat so that someone that's never been to church in their life can walk in and feel like, oh, I actually belong here. I wear a hat while I preach here tonight because I'm gospel motivated. And I want everyone in our church to model that so that when someone walks in the door, they feel welcome. And why do I do that? It's because I want them to feel safe in this environment here tonight so that when we hear us preach and hear us do music, they would see the love of God. They would have an encounter with Jesus in a safe environment. We do that all because we're gospel motivated, not because we like to do it or it's cool or trendy to do. It's why we serve coffee here. I mean, the coffee's really good, right? Amen. But we do that because we're, why? We're gospel motivated. We want people to feel welcome in this environment and drink good coffee and, and, and have like this feeling of like, oh, I actually belong here. So they can hear the gospel. See, we're consumed with this passion. Like it affects all our decisions. It's the why we do what we do. We're constantly just bent on how can we reach more people? How can we reach more people? We're gospel motivated. We'll be moved and motivated by the love of Jesus for all people. And the second anchor point is this. At Coastal Church, we will be spirit-powered. Can you all say spirit-powered? We will be strengthened and sustained by the Spirit's power. So we're okay with admitting that we don't have what it takes. We're okay with acknowledging that we actually need God to fulfill the mission that God's called us to do. And it's one of the reasons why the last few weeks we talked about how we actually don't have the resources in and of ourselves to fulfill the mission that God has given us of taking Jesus into every community in Sao Nova. We actually need his resources. And that God actually gives us those resources by being spirit-powered. That's how we get the resources to actually fulfill the mission and vision that God's given to us. And it's one of the reasons why, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave instructions to his disciples to do what in Jerusalem? To wait. And that's kind of where we're going here tonight. Acts chapter 1 Verse 1 to 11. 
So the book of Ephesians is my favorite book in the Bible, and this is a very, very close second. And the reason why I love the book of Acts so much is because the book of Acts, it really gives us an amazing description of why the church exists and how the church actually is supposed to operate and function. Now, when I say church, I don't mean a building. What do I mean when I say church? I mean the people. So when I say church, you say people. Church? Church? There you go. So when I say the word church, I'm talking about the people that have been called out by God and been filled with God's spirit, that have been sent on mission to fulfill God's mission in the world. And that's kind of what Acts unpacks for us, and I think it's incredible. And Acts actually, if you read Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is actually the outline for the entire book of Acts. And so on your spare time for the next few weeks, I encourage you, even as we go through the anchor points, because we're actually going to be in Acts for a little bit, go ahead and read the book of Acts. Find a Bible plan on version. Man, I just got to say this, this is off the cuff. There is a lot of our people in our church that are reading scripture, and you have no idea how much that encourages me. The amount of people, if you do yourself a favor if you don't have this yet, take out your phone, download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, and start reading scripture, because there's a lot of people in our church that are consuming scripture like all the time, and you have no idea the impact it will have on you as you start consuming scripture. Start reading the book of Acts, even if you're a cynic or a skeptic. Because the book of Luke and the book of Acts are actually written for people that are skeptical and cynical. It was written by a doctor. It was written in very logical order so you can understand the good news of Jesus and what Jesus began to do and teach as, Paul, as uh, Luke talks about here in Acts chapter 1. So Acts chapter 1, um, starting at verse 1. Do we have scripture on the screen? In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. See the doctor? See how the doctor, Luke, is trying to give reasonable, logical reasons for the evidence of Jesus' resurrection? Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to do what? Can you all say, wait? Can you all say wait? That's better. All right. But, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. Can you all say Power. Yeah. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 starts in Jerusalem. Then persecution comes on the church, and they have to move out to Judea, and to Samaria. And then by Acts chapter 28, Paul is strategically thinking about going to Rome and to the ends of the earth to Spain at the time. So that's kind of what the whole book of Acts is built on. Next verse. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven and will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, talked about how this is, you know, Luke's first book that he talked about. He wrote the book of the Gospel of Luke, and Luke and Acts is like a, 
It's like a two book. It's like a one book and two. It's like two sections. And so in Luke, he talks about how Jesus all began to do and teach. And Acts is what Jesus continues to do, but he continues to do it by not physically being present. Jesus goes and ascends to the right hand of God before their very eyes. And then Jesus sends the Spirit on the church. Now, Jesus is still working. He's just working through the church and continuing the work. That's why Luke says Jesus began to do and teach. And Jesus gives specific instructions to the disciples to wait, not to depart Jerusalem. And it's interesting, excuse me, it's interesting because if you look at Matthew chapter 28, what did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19? 19 and 20. He said, go and make disciples. And then in Acts 1, he talks about being witnesses, but there's this tension of like, let's go and fulfill the mission that God's given us, but also waiting on God. So there's this tension of Matthew chapter 28 and going and be disciples, but also waiting on God. There's this tension of waiting on God and doing what God wants. You know, oftentimes, timing is everything. And oftentimes, God can give like a dream or a vision or an idea that's the right idea, but it's the wrong time. And God has this way of being able to help us discern the right things at the right times. That's why the Bible actually calls us to have a multitude of counselors. And so I want to encourage you, if you're ever in the process of making a decision, don't make your decision on your own. Have those people that you trust that can help you discern what the Lord's will is in such a situation. One of the things that maybe a lot of you don't know in this room about Coastal is we have a team of elders. And they're people that are like, help provide direction and discern God's will. Uh, and there's a number of those people that are here. Travis Smith, Rob Richardson, Marty Swim, and Lauren Ingersoll are elders, and they work with me to help discern the future and direction for Coastal. And there's safety in the multitude of counselors as you're kind of discerning and making decisions and waiting on the Lord. Because the right idea at the wrong time is a blunder. And oftentimes we can kind of get ahead of ourselves and put the cart before the horse and not wait for God's timing. And not be equipped to actually do what we're going to do. Like how many of y'all would love to go out lobstering and not have any bait? That would go real well, right? Not so much. Because you wouldn't have the equipment to actually do and fulfill the job. And that's why Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem. You've got to get the resources before you do the job. It's like trying to build something if you didn't have any wood. Now I know that's not hard to believe based on the price of lumber these days, Right? But if you're going to build something, you need the resources to do it, right? Well, that's what Jesus is saying here in Acts chapter 1. Don't leave Jerusalem until I actually give you the divine resources you need to fulfill the job that I've called you to do. So then Jesus says in the last section here, he talked about this idea of restoring the kingdom to Israel. And the disciples actually asked that question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because the Jewish people at the time had this understanding that the Messiah was going to come. And he did. But the believers, the disciples, the Jewish people at the time, had this idea the Messiah was going to come. And he was going to come in and riding on a horse and be this conquering king. Because the nation of Israel at the time was actually being oppressed by the Roman Empire. And they thought the Messiah was going to come. 
and overthrow the Roman Empire and reestablish the Jewish nation as this mega superpower. They were no longer going to be under the thumb of the Roman Empire. So the disciples who had followed Jesus for the last three years asked a question. So when are you going to restore Israel to the time of David? We had power. That was a question that they asked. They asked a very political question. When are you going to overthrow this empire and give us back our authority and our independence? And you know, we can be guilty of getting so focused on what's happening in the political realm that we lose focus on what God is actually doing. You see, Jesus wasn't focused on one nation. He was focused on the entire world. He wasn't focused on the agenda of one nation. He was focused on actually forming a holy nation, a peculiar people. And that's what I love what 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says. It says, for you are a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a peculiar people. That you might show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, through Christ, God has made a new people called the church that live under his rule and his reign. That's what God was about, but the disciples didn't see it. They thought the Messiah was going to come and restore Israel and solve all their political problems. So they asked the question, so Jesus, when are you going to come and fix our political problem? And I think the question that the disciples asked at that point in time is a very similar question to what we might be asking God right now. God, in 2021, when are you going to come fix our political problems? Because our earthly kingdoms, last I checked, have been pretty messed up. And I don't want to put my head in the sand, and I don't want to step on anyone's toes here tonight. But with a provincial election just behind us and a federal election coming in just a few more days, I think a lot of us have been consumed with the what-ifs, the pressure, and the tension of the last number of weeks. And I'm not saying that we should put our head in the sand and not live as kingdom citizens in the world. But I just wonder, as your pastor, maybe we've been guilty of focusing too much on political kingdoms when we should actually be focusing on heavenly kingdoms. The Bible says to give to Caesar what's Caesar's. So as people that are in the world and not of it, we have a responsibility. I'm not neglecting that. But I'm just wondering, in a world and culture of outrage and social media, have we been guilty of letting culture and media captivate our attention maybe a little bit too much? And maybe Jesus would just graciously remind us, that's not your kingdom. I've called you to live in my kingdom. I've called you to set your mind not on things of this earth, but I've called you to actually set your mind on things above, where Christ reigns in heavenly places. And so as your pastor, I just want to give you a word. I know that you've gone through a lot of pressure. I know if you own a business, it's been really challenging. I know that you're thinking about your family. You're thinking about the what ifs, and there's all these things that are going on right now. And I get that, and I'm not neglecting that. But I'm just urging you and encouraging you. I think Jesus' reminder would say, I know what's going on, but would you look to me? Would you look to me? 
Would you focus on my kingdom and what I'm going to do? Because here's the deal what happens here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The disciples ask a very political question. When are you going to restore the kingdom? When are you going to fix our political problems? And guess what happens? Jesus doesn't do it. It gets worse. A couple decades later, guess what happens? The Roman Empire comes in and they tear down the temple. And they oppress the nation even more. Jesus didn't fix their political problem. But you know what he did? He launched the greatest movement that would ever hit the planet Earth called the church. He did that in the most upheaval of political times. And if we don't fix our eyes on his kingdom and be in a position to receive the Holy Spirit, we can be so caught up in what is happening in the earthly kingdoms and we can miss the bus. So church, let me tell you, God is off the stuff, amen? He wants to lead a movement in Southwest Nova. And he wants us to lift our eyes away from what's happening in culture and the world at times and not be captivated what's happening in other kingdoms. And let's get captivated by the king, amen? Let's get captivated by what's happening in the kingdom of God because God is up to stuff and he's calling every single one of you in this room to be part of it. Can I get an amen? Because the kingdoms of this world one day will all pass away. But the king that I serve... In the kingdom that he rules and reigns, it will never pass away. So don't put your hope in earthly kingdoms. Live in it, as we all must. But put your hope in a kingdom that will never perish, that will never end. So how do we do that? How do we actually live in this world and not be of it? Well, Acts chapter 1 says, verse 8 says, and you will receive power. I love that word power. I know I might have told this story before, but one time I was preaching on the power of God, and there was this ex-Hells Angel guy, this biker dude sitting right in the front row where Travis. And I was talking about the power of God and talking about how the word power in Greek actually comes from the word dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. So God actually wants to fill us with his explosive power on the inside. So, and give us the resources so we can actually be the church that God's called us to be. And I used reference the song, I've Got the Power. You guys know that song, right? I've got the power. Right? You've all heard that before? So anyways, there's this ex-Hells Angel dude that radically got changed by Jesus sitting right in the front row. And he yells out at this camp meeting in front of everyone in this deep, raspy voice. I got the power! And I'm like, yeah, man. You see, God wants to give us his power so we can actually be the church God's called us to be. That's how we actually live in this world and are not overcome by it. Because guess what? The political pressure and scene and culture, it might get worse. Because it did for Joseph, it did for Daniel, it did for Esther, it did for Moses. They were all in nightmare situations and culture. And guess what? God used them for such a time as this. Because they weren't looking at what was happening in their circumstances. They were actually looking to their God. Amen? And so God would just say, look to me. Receive my power and I will call you to be my witnesses. And God wants to give you the power not outside. He wants to give you the power in here so you can live in a culture that is not. God wants to fill you with 
his power because we're strengthened and sustained by the Spirit's power. I'm going to invite the worship team to come at this time. You see, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your motivations change. You begin to see things the way that God sees things. And your focus comes off of the stuff happening in culture, the stuff happening in the world. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you start to think about the mission of God. Because what happens, the transformation that happens in Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 2 is a people that were consumed with worry and fear about their political future all of a sudden became sold out totally to see lost people come to know Jesus, so much so they were willing to die for the message of the gospel. They didn't care about this anymore. They didn't care how rough things got because things got really rough for 11 of the 12 disciples because 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred for their faith. But they didn't care about this anymore because they knew they served a kingdom, unshakable, that would last forever. And they were witnesses. You know, you know the word witness in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You know what the Greek word for that is? It's martus. And it means martyr. That's the word. And martyrs aren't concerned with how intense things get politically. Because they're so sold out for the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter. Now I'm not saying, church, that we don't have issues to face. I'm not saying that we should just always put our head in the sand. I'm not even saying we shouldn't speak out about injustices that are happening in the world. There's a time and a place for those things. What I'm saying is this. Have you let stuff happening in culture consume you far too much? And maybe it's time to say, Lord, please forgive me. I've let the earthly kingdom consume me instead of your kingdom consume me. And maybe you're here tonight and You've never crossed over from death to life. You've never let King Jesus actually come in and, and rule your heart. You want to invite Christ to come in to forgive you of your sin because the cool part is this. My leader, my king, the person that's getting my vote, he actually died on my behalf. And how many kings would do that for you? How many kings would give up their throne in heaven and step down into this mess of a world? How many kings would give up that to come down so that he could save and rescue us? There's only one, and his name is Jesus. And he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he reigns at the right hand of God. And he reigns the universe. And yet he does all that. And he chooses to love us. He chooses to speak to us. He chooses to interact in our lives. That's who I'm giving my allegiance to. That's who I'm yielding my life to. And I wonder here tonight, have you made that decision yet to yield your life to Jesus? Maybe you need to come up and pray with someone to say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want to bow my head and heart to you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the ministry of your spirit. God, I just pray you pour your spirit in this place. God, we need your power. We want to be your witnesses. And we witness far too much about the kingdoms of this earth. But God, help us to be your witnesses. Help us to speak truth. Help us to see your kingdom, God. 
and help us to be captivated by it. God, would you pour your spirit on our lives and would you do, Father, what only you can do. God, we love you and we welcome you in this place. In Jesus' name, let's stand together.